Welcome back in Main Street Sports Day, presented by Mid Tennessee Bone and Joint. Chris Yao, alongside Mo Patton, JP Plant. As the Auburn Tigers have now taken a lead on a bases clearing double, there with an exit below of one oh three off the top of the left center fence. Auburn now leads Stanford four two in the top of the sixth. So look out, SEC, SEC. Uh, I'd probably get tired of that chant in Omaha here before long. Oh, gosh. No kidding. As we end our Braves segment, and there's no no question we're, we're going to, at uh, some point in this yeah, segment, yeah, the we, Braves we, segment we, will continue. We have not ended our Braves segment. No, no we have not. <laughs> because we have the godfather himself, George Plaster. Joining us now, we're going to talk a little bit about the Preds, but uh, George, we salvaged one yesterday. Yeah, and they needed to. Um, they had run into some stuff Friday and Saturday. The wind was blowing in at Wrigley, and some balls that probably would have gotten out didn't. And uh, I, you know what? That's off to the Cubs. Yeah, I mean – a team that had lost 10 straight coming in there, they found a way to get a couple from the hottest team in baseball. And like you said, you just got to tip your hat to them. And, and thank goodness for Ian Anderson, and thank goodness the offense kind of thawed out a little bit yesterday for a, a 6 nothing victory to, to try to get a little momentum as you come home for seven. It's funny you said thawed out because I have a friend who was at the game and was like, I did not expect to be freezing in mid-June at a baseball game. At Wrigley? That was not my... Were they under the roof? They were under the roof. There you go. Because I I, I, told, I went to a game in August, um, first cool. time I'd been to Wrigley, and if you're under the roof in that wind off Lake Michigan, it's not fun. I will... Uh, that, that was probably as close as I've ever come to leaving a game before it was over. <laughs> oh, Wow. George, I've left a few before they were over. Yes, you have, <laughs> famously, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that's going to be tough to live down, George. You know, Mo. A uh, couple of days later, I asked my dad. I, I said something complaining about, you know, why am I catching all this crap? And my dad was still alive at the time, and he said, "The fact that anybody cares where you go or when you go." You ought to thank your lucky stars that anybody even cares. There you go. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Your dad, I've always remembered that. Your, your dad keeping you grounded, huh? Oh, my goodness. I miss him. Uh, sure thought about him some yesterday on Father's Day. George, as, as Chris was saying, wanted to kind of talk to you, catch up with you during the final game of the NBA Finals on Thursday night. Word started to trickle out about a upcoming change in the Nashville Predators ownership. And, you know, we discussed it a little on Friday. We had Steve Lehman and, and Joe Rexrode both on the show. But um, as this starts to, to develop and as the Predators finally put something out, I think, Friday evening regarding the situation, you know, what's your read on that? First of all, I know that Herb Fritch had had some health concerns a couple of years ago, and he had become, I guess, I think they use the word governor 
the lead owner, if you will. And my guess is that he started kind of looking around. Um, I guess maybe I should have caught this a few months ago because at the Pecorine retirement luncheon, I went up to talk to Herb and uh, Haslam, who I've never met, um, was sitting next to him. And, you know, I now have a pretty good idea that this had been going on for a good while and they were able to keep it quiet. Um, hats off to them for, for being able to pull that off. I don't pretend to know what Sportico is, but, um, you know, they, they got part of the story correct. Um, you know, they had a few little numbers errors. Uh, this group paid $192 million to buy it, and the Preds don't average 18-4 per game. Uh, they've, you know, the, the place holds 17. But they got the, the meat and potatoes of it right. That hey, something George. Something was going on. George, yeah. never let the facts stand in the way of a good story. You know, I've used that before, <laughs> Mo, and that's touche. Well done. Thank you. Go ahead. <laughs> So, um, you know, I, my, my first thought is this got a totally different feel than 15 years ago. Uh, I knew the minute I, the minute I got wind of that story 15 years ago, I knew we were in trouble, that there was a real shot that a Canadian, you know, wasn't coming down here to fall in love with Nashville. And of course, two days later, a woman called me on the show and I went absolutely berserk and just said, you know, let's dry up the tears and realize we're at war to keep this team. And a day later, you know, I committed to something. I had no clue what I was getting into, but it turned out to be one of the most rewarding things I've ever been involved in. Well, that, that, you know, for those who may be new and don't know, the, the Nashville Predators were – not necessarily up for sale, but they were on the verge of being sold. Uh, in kind the, of a hostile takeover, if you will, in the mid two thousands. And uh, George Plaster led, for all intents and purposes, led the charge to save the Nashville Predators. And thank God he did, because that again they have been such an integral part of the, uh, I guess the the city becoming the it city it, it is for the last five to seven years of that Stanley cup run was just, uh, I mean, it was such a, a vital part of the fabric of this city at this point. And so, you know, you don't feel like this one, th this has anything, any inklings that uh, of anything like that coming this time. So what you're saying is the predators aren't moving to Cleveland. Don't, don't think so. <laughs> you know, this guy has got very deep pockets. Mo, he probably travels in some different circles than you and I do because I read that he's worth something like $2.5 The The story of how that group cobbled together $192 million is a 30-for-30 is 30 30 kind of story. Uh, Ralph Schultz, who runs the chamber, he's never quite said this to me, but I think he is the one ultimately that put that whole group together um, because they didn't know each other. They all had sort of a common interest of trying to do 
something good for the city. And I've always believed that if that team had left, the arena would have become a white elephant. And some of the things that, you know, downtown, some of downtown's growth, I don't think uh, would have happened had that not gone on. And, uh, you know, that, that group deserves so much credit for stepping up and uh, whatever Ralph's role was in putting them together, man, kudos to him as well. You know, I, it is for anyone who's been in the the sports world and understands the Haslam name and sports ownership. This this has to feel different than you know what Jimmy has done necessarily in Cleveland. You 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 don't feel like this is going to be a a negative for the Predators or. Uh, this organization, but does this have some sort of effect on the front office staff in the near future? I don't think so. Um, you know that it. I, I'm guessing you're referring to Sean Henry. Um, I mean, I would assume that uh, that Haslam has looked around and realized that under Sean's leadership and before that. Sean and uh, and um, I can't think of him now. Jeff, uh, um, help me here, Mo. I, I'm I'm you, forgetting a name. This you is, you uh, got me. Uh, <laughs> um, I'll think of it in a minute. Anyway, mm-hmm. when, when those two were hired, Jeff Kogan and Sean Henry, I believe they were the missing piece that took that franchise from the 12, 13, 14,000 a game up to where it's been in recent years, which is a lot closer to, to sellouts every night. I can't imagine that, uh, you know, he would want that to go away. Um, I, I, I would be absolutely shocked. I think George that the reference may not be as much to the Henry Kogan situation as to maybe the next rung down where you find your 72-year-old general manager who's been in place since the team's inception? Well, look, I'll never criticize the ownership group uh, because, number one, they made the art team Nashville group look good. They stepped up and ponied all the money. Now, if I had been part of that group, uh, I would have, you know, and I've gone on the record on this, I would have called David Poyle in before the trade deadline and said, where are we on Philip Forsberg? And the answer that I think I would have gotten would have required me to say, okay, you need to let Forsberg know that either this deal gets done by X date or we're moving him. We don't have the luxury to let him just walk. Well, they didn't do that. They've given him all the leverage. I hope I'm wrong. I think he's gone. Uh, I know the big rumor right now is Calgary, and I think you're going to see the fan base as irate as you have seen them in a long time. And ultimately, I think what's going to happen is that Poyle gets kicked upstairs into sort of a Pat Riley um you know, kind of role like Riley has with the heat. And, um, 
you know, that's just part of being a general manager. David Poyle is a wonderful human being. They don't get any better, any finer than him. But the truth of it is he hasn't had a very good three years, and a lot of what ails them right now he's responsible for. And if, if Forsberg leaves, and I hope I'm wrong, but I think he's going to, then I think they've got to kick Poyle upstairs. And wasn't there something over the weekend, George, about Barry Trotz per- possibly coming back in some sort of front office capacity? Yeah, I mean, I hear that a lot. Uh, Trotz has bought a house here that, that got out, I think, uh, I want to say it was the Nashville Post that Who has it, that though? Here in the last... <laughs> yeah, Everybody's well, got a house in Nashville. Here's the thing. I don't doubt that that Barry Trotz has gotten tired of of the way he's been treated. Guy went mm-hmm. to Stanley Cup in Washington and, you know, was treated like some sort of a disease. Uh, then he goes to the Islanders, where he didn't do a half-bad job up there. And, you know, in the final year of it, they part ways. They, you know, they, they fire him. I don't blame him for wanting a little more security than that. And right now, that might not be a bad move for this franchise. Now, I think it would lead to a lot of the first time, you know, things don't go well is John Hines looking over his shoulder. 100%. (laughs) At maybe Barry Trotz becoming the coach. I don't know. I know that he was incredibly popular when he was here. It's hard not to like Barry Trotz. If you don't like him, you're probably the issue, not him. And the other thing was, you know, he's a pretty darn good coach. That's the thing. Of course, you know, having a lot of nice guys hmm. isn't always the best thing, but it does seem to it does seem to be an issue here in Nashville sometimes. But uh, it's interesting. I, I I I think Barry would be a fantastic addition to the organization, no matter what capacity he's in. Uh, the guy's a great hockey mind, and I think he would certainly be a a, a great asset to this uh, franchise. So if he's here in Nashville and we're not trying to get him somewhere, we're doing something wrong. But uh, here's what we don't know: is does this thing that went, you know, looks like it went down late last week? Does that hinder that possibility? Does it help it? Does it hinder the Forsberg thing? Does it help it? I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't pretend to know, but I do know this. If Forsberg stays, that's not the end of what has to happen. David Poyle had better have a really good summer of doing whatever it is he's doing because at the end of the season, it was obvious that they looked like the 16th team out of 16 that got in and they got swept and nobody's real happy about that and losing Forsberg I think all of a sudden people would start getting a lot more vocal about it I don't okay and I get the frustration getting swept and all that but after watching this Colorado team literally just waltz through the playoffs I'm not real sure that that we can put a whole lot of uh, stock into that that sweep. I mean, this this Colorado team has looked like an absolute juggernaut. So there's Look, that. Nobody, Chris, nobody thought this team was going to win a Stanley Cup. Sure, 
but they, they they are within a final game at Arizona of of not Avoiding. having to deal with Colorado yeah. for a while. Sure, I, I understand. In all honesty, David Poyle saddled John Hines with a goaltender who, at the end of the season, couldn't stop a beach ball. Hmm, that's true, and that's a big piece of this that you're going to start hearing more about if Forsberg walks. So far, it's been kind of muted because getting to the playoffs is an achievement. Um, but I think I think Forsberg, if he leaves, it will open up a fan discontent that you have not heard over there in a long time. Well, especially when you consider some of the folks that they've moved that that they didn't hang on to who were – you know, some fan favorites, PK fan favorites. and Subban. Uh, Bingo. I mean, I mean yeah, the, the PK, especially again, Calgary, <laughs> it's, it's frustrating. It really is. So anyway. Yeah. I mean, look, it hadn't been a real good two or three years for David and, and general managers, you know, if you're in it long enough, some of this is going to happen. Sure. But, but it, it can't happen it, it's, at, as much. As it but, has. And it's, it's reached a point where I think – I kind of believe that if Forsberg leaves, that David Poyle will not be the general manager much longer. I also think that if – Did I call him ha- Peter Forsberg or Philip? You know, Forsberg is all we need, but uh, <laughs> it's yeah. funny. You know what I mean. Exactly. I, we did. We did. Uh, if Matt Duchesne doesn't have the year he had this year – he David might have Poyle been would have already. been going well already. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, I mean, there there was certainly a revival there, and UC was tremendous. Right. Let, let me also say this. Hines overworked UC Sorrow yes. badly. Mm. We all know oh. that. But part of the reason may well have been that He didn't have anywhere Poyle, else to go. David Poyle. Well, Poyle didn't have him signed to a deal, and he may well have thought he was coaching for his professional life. I don't know. And he uh, was. I, I thought that maybe he was, he maybe he wasn't. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I don't understand why. Um, because I think he coached scared at the end. He, he clearly overworked UC Soros. Everybody knew it. But, you know, if I'm Poyle, I would have called him in at some point and said, you know, I don't want to tell you how to coach, but what are you doing? And Hines would have been well within his rights to say, well, you know what? I don't have a contract next year. What do you want me to do? <laughs> yeah, you so, want me to so this I'm not, guy out there? So, so I don't even know that Paul had a basis to have that conversation. Right. He didn't. So it's a, that, that is, that is interesting. That, that is, that is a, a side of it that we really haven't, you know, dove into mm-hmm. on this, but you're right, George. I, I think, you know, a lot of the pre of, of the predators issues, especially late, probably extend to the front office rather than the bench. That's. that's yeah. Tough. And look, I, I just don't think that it had to be as bad as it turned out at the end. Um, because I think, you know, you had a coach, who I think probably felt like, you know, I got to win. 
I, I've got to win now. And so he badly overused UC Soros mm-hmm. and Riddick. And maybe not to, you know, maybe it's not his fault the way he was used. But at the end, Riddick couldn't stop a beach ball. Right. Y'all remember a, a thing against St. Louis here that got way out of hand where they yeah. scored, I don't know, seven goals in the second period. And, you know, you could kind of look around and say, this ship is sinking. And, you know, with Sorrows hurt, they had a goaltender who had no confidence, who had been used in a really erratic manner. I, I did. I brought this up on the air one day that why isn't Poyle having this conversation? And if he is, is Heinz telling him, because you don't have me signed to a contract. What am I supposed to do? Absolutely nothing. You do, you've done what you, you've done what you what you can. So, George, we appreciate it. We uh, we're going to take a quick break here, but uh, thank you for taking some time with us and shedding some light. And uh, we'll, we won't we won't pack the Mayflower trucks for Cleveland just yet. We need to remind folks though before we let George go. What is it? Three weeks, June July eleventh. Yeah, July 11th. four o'clock. The George Plaster Show debuts on these same airwaves. Or, so to speak. Yeah, or, or digital waves or whatever the, waves they might be. The interwebs. That's yeah. right. So um, be yeah. sure and check that out. Hey, but again. hey, Mo, before that happens, there are a couple of uh, little Braves trips scheduled. <laughs> of course there are. Yeah. Well, we will be looking One for. One this Friday night. We'll, we will be looking for your uh, firsthand reports on at George Plaster TN on Twitter. I'll be, yeah, exactly. There'll be some stupid video from the top of Truist Park. Well, we like your videos, and I want that Birmingham Stallion shirt if you don't. You know, I gave it to the usher. That, what are uh, you doing? You know, actually, uh, yeah. This guy. I gave it to the usher that filmed it for It's us. almost like you don't even know me, George. <laughs> ah, it's all right. I'll, I'll get over it. I'll live. I'm going to Canton. We'll see you later. Do your best. Appreciate it. All right, we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we will talk about something. I mean, we got like three minutes left, so we'll quickly get to something. We'll wrap it up. We will wrap it up yeah. after this.